I'm not pulling out of my driveway. We all know what that means. It's my drive to work, coronavirus edition. So I've been asking uh, different people that make magic or have made magic to come on my show. So today I have Donald Smith Jr. So welcome, Donald. Yeah, what's up? I'm so Donald. why don't we start by telling people what you do? What What is your job? Yeah, so I'm on uh, play design. So we do the competitive balance for limited and standard. And yeah, I mean, that's really the gist of it. Okay, so let's let's start from the beginning. How did you get into magic? All right, so I was in college. I actually started pretty late compared to most professional players and most uh, Wizards uh, employees. So I started in um, right when Theros, the original Theros came out. Um, and I've always been like a competitive player at heart, so... I I got like super into the LGS tournament scene, started going to Grand Prix, and just kind of worked my way up the the uh, professional chain, and then landed at Wizards. Okay, so you, uh, what was your best performance at a Pro Tour? Yeah, I got top four at Pro Tour Aether Revolt. That, that was my best performance, and then other than that, I don't have any huge finishes, but I chained like a lot of like top thirty twos and whatnot, and I actually got a Worlds invite, so. That, that's like, those two are my two best accomplishments. Okay, so one of the things that's very interesting about you is that you have not been playing Magic all that long comparative to a lot of R&D. Um, and so one of the things that's very interesting is um, you, one of the things that I think got you hired is you pick up things very fast. Uh, you you have the ability to sort of very on the fly understand what's working and what's not working. And when we make brand new stuff, that's a really important skill because the brand new stuff, no one's played with that before. Um, and it's kind of, I mean, what I think of sort of what you're known for is that you're able to take new things and understand them way, way quicker than most people can. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a blessing and a curse, but mostly a blessing of like, yeah, it's super valuable that I don't really get these like old references. Like the first cards I saw were from original Innistrad, because uh, my cousin gave me his collection that started there. And um, yeah, it, it's just super interesting in the meetings when people throw out these cards from like early two thousands and honestly even like two thousand eight. It's just like a black hole for me. Yeah, one of, one of the things that's super entertaining, uh, I, you probably know this, but it's super entertaining for a lot of us in R&D is we love watching you experience the card for the first time. So when we mention some famous card and you don't know, like, oh, I can be the one to show you this card, you know. Um, and I, I don't remember what the cards are, but it's like, we'll have, it, we'll have a conversation, we'll say something, and you'll go, what? And I'll go, oh, wait, wait you've never seen this card, and we'll, we'll pull out whatever. That, that's always a lot of fun. Yeah, some notable ones that come up is like I think those uh, dream halls where it's just like you don't spend any mana on your cards for yes. the rest of the game, and uh, I, it also happens too a lot where like I'll pitch a card design for like any set design or vision design meeting, and people will be like, "Oh, it's just like this card from Odyssey or whatever." I'm <laughs> like, "Okay, well, I didn't know that, so it's <laughs> original to me at least." So here I'm gonna tell you a little story about dream halls because I made I made dream halls. Um, that you might find entertaining. Um, so I made it just cause we, we, you know, the pitch cards are from, from alliances, force of will, you know, force of will. 
yeah. Okay, so so there's we, a lot uh, back in um, uh, alliances. We made a cycle of five cards. Forcible was the famous one, but you could pitch another card to cast it. And so I was inspired by that to make an enchantment that just said, "Well, that's how all spells work. You can just pitch another card to cast it." And when the when there used to be a magazine called um, what was the magazine? It was. I'm blanking on the name of the magazine. It'll come to me in a second. But anyway, there was a magazine that used to grade the cards and give them... Um, for every set, they'd pick the worst card of the set. And they picked Dream Halls as the worst card... Oh, in, in Quest Magazine. They picked they picked Dream Halls as the worst card from... I think it was in Stronghold. And I remember the time going, how do you... I go, this card, I don't know whether it's, it's completely broken, but it might be. How do you pick this as the worst <laughs> card in the set? Uh, and it later got banned, and I thought that was very funny, so. <laughs> yeah, when I first saw the card, I'm like, wait, why don't you just play, like, a bunch of like, card draw spells with this and draw your deck? And people are like, yep, that's that's what happened back then. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, we had, we, it took us some time in the early days. We we made a lot of cards that overrode casting costs, and we, we that, that burned us a lot. Not that it never burns us now, but it burns us a lot more in the past <laughs> than it burns us now. Okay, so let's let's talk a little bit about um, what I, I want to get. It, it, like, I know people. I mean, we've talked a lot. I, I've talked about um, sort of what you do, but I want I, I want to get into what exactly it means to be um, doing doing the, the the end part of design. Um, so yeah. let, let's talk a little bit. Okay, so. I work on vision design, so we come up with we're going to do something like okay, let's take we'll take uh, Icoria since Icoria is out. Okay, so I'm in vision design, and I'm like, it's a monster set, and there's monsters, and you build monsters with mutate, and there's companion, and cycling, and ooh, there's giant monsters everywhere. Okay, so I we come up with that. We hand it off to Dave, and then Dave's the set designer. Um, and so Dave is like, okay, well, Mark had a lot of crazy ideas. How, how do we make those crazy ideas more, you know, how do we build a set and, and make use of that? And, you know, he took Mutate and, and massaged Mutate and figured out how to make Companion work right. And, you know, he took all the ideas that we had in Vision and then brought them to life and, like, figured out the practicality of it, right? Okay, so when you guys get involved, what what do you guys do when it, when you're seeing Ikori for the first time? Yeah, so I always joke that, like, the the most common thing we do at work is just to, like, add, add or subtract toughness from creatures, which is... Uh, kind of true but yeah so we um we it's hard because it's not like we're just play testing all the time and and doing st- uh, like adding stats or whatnot we we do a lot of design work too so um i guess a, a good example of this would be a uh, luminous broodmoth actually wrote like a pretty funny in files uh story about how that came to be but that was actually kind of like a play design design uh not that play design made it but it was it was the perfectly fine design but because we're taking into account the the whole format of standard whereas set design really only focused on their set uh it w- it ended up being too similar to a card in m20 so that that's like something we had to do to redesign it and we just make sure all these pieces all these game pieces from all the sets and standard just interact with each other and there's not too much overlap there's cool synergies and it's a lot of designing around that 
sometimes it's just ability tweaking, but sometimes we do have to like make our own new cards and um, do actual design work. Yeah, one of the, I think the misconceptions a lot of people have about play design is that all you guys do is adjust power level. And while that is something you do, um, a lot of making things work is, oh, this doesn't work. Let's make the thing that will do the thing we need to do. And that there's actually a lot of design done. I mean, that's why the word design is in play design. There's a lot of design that gets done then. Um, so talk a little bit about, I mean, like, I, I use anything from my core, but like, give me an example where you go, oh, we need this. And a more concrete example of how, how you'll craft something. Yeah, um, so this isn't Ikoria, but this is uh, uh, from Theros. Uh, this is what jumps out to me. So we there was like the Orzov guild um, in Ravnica Allegiance, and they had Afterlife, so a lot of kind of aristocratic gameplay, death triggers. And um, we didn't – it was a fun deck, but we didn't uh, actually – like it just never worked. It never clicked, and – just the nature of the sets, you know, we have to move on to the next set and maybe there's not a specific card slot. So when it came to Eldraine and Theros, we we didn't think the sacrifice package, like with all these death triggers, was that strong. So we added Witch's Oven and Woe Strider to like really tie that together. And that's like an example of something that is fleshing out in the real world. Like, I don't want to say close, like we, we didn't have the exact deck or whatever, but like we planned that we, we had some support with Midnight Reaper and Guilds of Ravnica and just a lot of Orzhov cards. Then we added sacrifice outlets and that's kind of us like going to set the, the set leads and saying like, we need these specific elements to tie this package together. And that's like, that's us in a sense designing the format, even though we're not like designing specific cards here and there. Although we do do that too. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I think is, I mean, when, when a set designer is making their set, um, they're very, very focused on kind of what their set is doing. They do think about the sets around them, but their main job is bringing their set to life. Uh, and a lot of what I, I know play design does is kind of bring in the perspective of, because like when players open up a, like a brand new set, They've been playing with it for quite a while, and a lot of the way they treat a new set is, how does this new set interact with all my old sets? Like, I have decks. I have made decks. Well, what, what do I get to add from my deck from this set, you know? And I think that perspective of what's going on is a very important part. I, I'm sort of curious, um, how, how do you guys handle that? Let's get some of the technical. How do you make sure that each new set is going to play well with what comes before it. Yeah, it's honestly just a lot of negotiation and it, it really is like what most of our job is. Again, we're, we're, we're not only play testing, we we're crafting and designing an environment. So, um, I mean, there's so many situations that come up, whether it's like, Oh, your card is, uh, it goes both ways, like, oh, your card, so, like, with Luminous Brumont, this is too similar to a card we already made, so, like, we really think we should change it to just add more texture to the environment. Sometimes it's, uh, oh, maybe this is going to be too similar to something in a future set, and that future set is, like, it's a, um, like, a really key part to the set. So, um, kind of, for example, um, 
Theros doesn't have too many like or, like huge auras, and there's no like a uh, Voltron style gameplay because that's kind of what Mutate was going to do in the set after it. So we didn't want to just like oh here stack up one creature with a bunch of auras and then the next set okay mutate a bunch of creatures onto each other because that's just like similar gameplay so that's why the the constellation rewards are more about like going wide you know drawing cards making tokens and um and like doing just more mid-rangey stuff and yeah it's it's a little bit beyond me because it's it's like we have all this feedback and it's it's just so day to day to me that it's hard yeah. to uh, go go like too technical about it, I guess. But I hope those examples at least are somewhat enlightening. So also another thing that people might not be aware of is while play the majority of play design is done at the end of the you know the end of the design process, um, you guys actually are involved much earlier. For for example. Uh, whenever I run a vision design team, I normally have a play designer on it because I want to make sure that the things we're making can be made appropriately down the road. Talk a little bit about that. I know you've done some of that too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So again, we're, we're play designers, we're game designers, so we are on different teams. I'm I'm a, uh, a vision team with you right now. I was yeah. actually on the Ikoria set team also. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we just kind of, we get rotated around, but between different sets, a different part in the po- process. Uh, it's just, uh, I guess, at least for me, I get a lot of value because I like seeing like, oh, how did we get here? And uh, being in all parts of the process lets me realize that. Um, well, when, when, when you're in a vision design team, when we're looking at raw mechanics, meaning we haven't, we're just coming up with them, um, what are the things that are important as a play designer? What are you looking out for in a new mechanic? Yeah, so the the big buzzword we use is knobs, right? So we want to make sure that uh, we have opportunities to tweak numbers or or just turn knobs, as you will. Well, explain what Uh, knobs are. Explain to them what what is a knob. What does that mean? Yes, so a knob is just like something we could turn up or down, basically. Um, So the the most obvious knob is a number, right? So if... uh, like a power and toughness of a creature, those are knobs we could turn. We could we could increase it, decrease it, depending on what we need. Um, just like mana costs are a huge knob too. Uh, it's, and that's why like play designers love activated abilities is because, oh, we could like really fine-tune this card because now we have the mana cost, the power and toughness, and this ability could also cost more or cost less. And then oh, if you put a number on the ability, like let's say it deals three damage, oh, now we could increase that up or down. And then it's like a puzzle, whereas it's a lot harder to, um, like some of the ultimatums, like the uh, the Saltai ultimatum in Ikoria is like, that card doesn't have many knobs because you're like searching for three monocolor cards and, and like casting two of them and, yeah, you could technically change the number three, but then the design kind of breaks. And also the ultimatums have a specific casting cost, so you can't change that either. And they're all sorcery, so some cards have a lot of knobs, some cards don't. And right, so we have to have both. As you pointed out, um, so numbers are knobs, but the, and here's some other examples of kind of knobs. is like whether it's an instant or a sorcery, for example... Like you were saying, you were locked into a sorcery, but one of the ways to make a card more powerful is to make it instant or make, or make it a little weaker is to make it a sorcery. Um, we also have a lot of effects. Like, for example, let's say we're doing a bounce effect. Well, I could just bounce. I 
the what I can target is, is is a knob, right? If I just hit a creature versus hit a non-land permanent, for example. Uh, also, how strong the effect is. You know, am I going to bounce the creature to your hand? Am I going to bounce it to the top of your library? Um, having knobs means that there's a, there's a lot of different ways to allow people down the road to adjust and change it. Um, okay, so we're making a mechanic. You want to look at knobs. What what else are you looking for? Um, honestly, just play pattern. Uh, I just yeah, I want to make sure it's interactive. I don't like I, I like to envision. Okay, if if you were to build a whether it's competitive or casual, if you were to build a deck around this mechanic, like what would that deck play like? Like let's say you just had as many cards with the mechanic as reasonable into this one deck is, is that deck going to be super slow? Is it going to like lock you out the game? Is it going to, you know, kill you on turn three or whatever? Um, I just, uh, kind of, I just have to like conceptualize like what would a deck built around this be? And it's, you know, that's just the game, right? So I'm just envisioning how the game plays out. So it, it gets kind of complicated and it, I just get into my own head and start daydreaming more or less. But uh, at the end of the result, it's like, okay, is, is it fun? You know, Does so it play well. Another thing that I know that goes on is um, some, one of the problems sometimes that uh, the vision designers have is we play the mechanic as we want it to be played rather than necessarily what would optimize it. Um, oh yeah, yeah. And so, talk a little bit about, about, about optimization of mechanics. Yeah, so yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up because, like, <laughs> that's just second nature to me. Because I started Magic and like three months after playing Magic casually, I was like, okay, I want to play tournament. So yeah, it's just like when I'm imagining these decks, it, it's yeah, I have no concept of like, oh, it would be cool if it did this. I'm like, no. I, this is the mechanic in front of me. I will build the most savage, cutthroat, competitive deck I can. You know, the cards aren't fleshed out yet, but, like, it, you, you still get a sense of, like, if someone was trying to win a tournament with this mechanic, what would that look like? And sometimes that's fun, and sometimes that's not. Yeah, one of the things that I talk a lot about is how you have to put the fun where the strategy is, meaning that you... The correct way to play the card has to be the fun way. That if there's a fun way and a powerful but not fun way, people will play the powerful version even if it's less fun. Yeah, for sure. That that is like we have so many conversations on a card by card basis with that. Like we know some cards are stronger than others, but at the end of the day we ask, is this the fun place to put strength in? Is this the fun is this a fun card that we know people will play? Um so, yeah, that's, that's like, a really fundamental play design question. Right. Like, one of the things – so we, here's an interesting concept. The idea that a set only gets so much power in it, that, you know, that everything can't be the best that it can be, that you have to pick and choose where to put it. So expand on that a little bit. Like, how, how do you decide what gets to be the best cards in a set? Yeah, so we, we have this process um, where we kind of, like, assign – uh, like a loose probability of how how likely we think it's to sh- it's going to show up in standard. Um, the probability part's really important because we don't have perfect information and like the probability is like a very big range. Like we we will think a card is between thirty three and sixty six percent to show up, which, which is like 
within that range, it could be, oh, I, I think it's less than half of a chance to show up or, or over 50% to show up. Um, and, and that's like one rating we could give a card. And then we have a rating for less than that and a rating for like uh, 66 plus percent. Um, and there, there's just some, each set has like a certain amount of points allocated to it basically. And, and we just kind of divvy that up, but you know, we expect we're not going to get it a hundred percent right. And it, it's really just a rough tool to make sure, uh, not one set is like eclipsing another basically. So let's, I'll talk a little bit about tools. Um, one of my quotes I made a long time ago about magic design is it, it starts in art and it ends a science. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things I know that play design does a lot is there are a lot of tools. I, you don't need to get into the, the nitty gritty of the tools, but talk a little bit about the kind of tools you guys use. Yeah. So uh, see, we, so we have uh, what I just described with the probability of it showing up in standard that's called top 40. Um, then we have uh, quick pointing and limited which is uh, we basically have like different letter grades and like for example A is uh, equivalent to Windrake, which is two two flyer for three. Um, and even the just to clarify, just that it's an A, but that doesn't mean it's like a really good card. It just it's just the way the quick pointing is works, which is kind of beyond me, but whatever. Uh, so yeah, we. Uh, that's like a way to color balance, like roughly color balance the set. So, um, Oh, each color could get so many A's, A pluses, B's and C's at common. And, uh, you just kind of map that up for each rarity and, uh, for each color. So that's like a rough way to balance the set just to get it play test ready. Then we have a more in-depth version of that called bucket pointing, which is like pretty similar to what, uh, pro tour testing teams do or players, uh, just pro teams really. Um, where you you just lay out the whole set, you print the whole set out, and you, you just kind of stack rank the cards, and you end up with, like, 20 buckets of, of just, like, categories that what cards you think are the strongest. Um, so that's limited, that's constructed. I, I've been doing, like, format analysis stuff, which is, like, I map out all the removal spells in a given standard environment, and, like, see, oh, how much exiles, what toughness break points are, can we easily hit, uh, how much planeswalker removal do we have? Um, I'm sure there's more tools, honestly, <laughs> but those are like the the big ones. The the limited, the top forty, and the quick pointing are like that's like second nature to us, and the removal things more of a like tool that I use and that I've developed myself. Okay, so here's one of my favorite things. As far as I'm concerned, this is my favorite part of your job. Is I'll make a card and then I'll come over to you and I go, okay, Donald, cost this card for me. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, uh, I remember that was kind of a infamous question on the, uh, great designer search test mm-hmm. where, yeah, you just, you just ask play design how much it costs and we'll give you an answer and, you know, we might not be right, but it'll be good enough at least. Yeah. Well, hi, so how do you approach that? Because a lot of times when I'm coming to you, I'm coming to you with weird stuff. Because if it's not weird, I probably could figure it out. So if I'm coming to you, it's like, here's something we've never quite done before. How do you, you know, how, how do you balance stuff that you've never approached before? How do you do that? Yeah, so I have kind of two processes. I, I try to, 
liken it to a card that we have printed before, that's actually very hard for me because I just don't know that much about the history of magic. Uh, I'm learning a lot about the history of magic, but I, I, I just don't know of this like obscure uncommon from Mirrodin or whatever. Just, <laughs> I just have no insight into that. Uh, the other thing is I just like imagine this is especially useful for like cards lower on the curve, like around three to four mana. It's like, okay, what happens if I'm on the play and I play this on curve, like on turn three, like, and then I, I try to think like, okay, if I'm playing against that, like, am I like sighing? Am, am I like punching the table? Am I happy? Is it, are we going to like now have an interesting combat phase or, you know, just kind of the, the like groan meter, I guess you could call it. Of just like, how fun is this card going to be if played on curve? Um, and then, and then I, I just like, again, visualize this game state, uh, and you know, Oh, does it, is it just a full mana off? Does it just have to come one turn later? Maybe it does like a little too much damage and kills too many creatures and, you know, just turn the knobs from there. Okay. So I'm going to ask you a, a, a serious question here. So, you see me walking up to you, so you know I'm coming to ask you something. Are you kind of excited because I'm, I'm going to ask you something weird? Or are you kind of a little, a little intimidated? You're like, oh no, what is he going to ask now? Uh, normally I'm excited because it, it's actually, for me, a pretty like fun break from my desk, basically. Because, I mean, usually you come to me when I'm at my desk doing something. And I personally like having like short little five-minute breaks and um, from my work, from like typing away in Excel. Uh, I also like look at your facial expression too to be like, okay, how weird is the card gonna be? Because like if you if you're when you come to me and you you're just like kind of nonchalant uh, and I can't really read you, I know it's just gonna be like a oh here's like a a limited card to like tie these things together. But like sometimes you're really exciting. I'm like, okay, this is gonna be a spicy rare. <laughs> okay, so um, here's a question that gets asked a lot. How much of your job is playtesting? What percentage of your job do you think playtesting is? Uh, it's so hard because for me to answer that because it, it varies week by week. Um, mm -hmm. So, I don't know. I'd say... I'd say roughly half. Um, so, like, every, uh, for each set, we do, like, a, a, like, kind of a mox tournament just to, like this is a way we wrap up a set and, you know, we really just like hammered out a few last things before we introduce a new set into the FFL. And that, that is like actual play testing for like 90, 90% of that week. Um, sometimes it's, uh, it's a lot less. So, and the tricky thing too is like, it's hard for me to disentangle play testing and deck building. So when, uh, when a new set comes into FFL, so like following a tournament, I actually don't play that many games, but I'll be building way more decks just because we have so many new tools. Um, so that, yeah, that's a, it depends if you count deck building as playtesting, because if you do, it's actually like probably like 70 to 75% on average. Mm -hmm. How many t teams are you on at a time usually? Um, see... Uh, my manager usually tries to keep play designers on like one set team and um, and then basically, 
yeah, play design. And then I might have like floating projects here and there. But uh, mm. like as far as my calendar is, I have one set team. And then outside of that, it's just working on FFL, whether it's thinking about the format, playtesting, deck building. And, and then a lot of that is also wrapped up into like drafting sets too, because we do do a lot of drafts. I, I talk mostly about constructed, but like we we will draft the set of uh, 10, 20 times, right? Yeah, you mentioned FFL real quickly for those that don't know what that is. Uh, it stands for Future Future League, which is the league that about a year ahead, I guess, right? Roughly? Yeah, roughly a year. Um, and it, uh, I, I, people always ask this question, so I'll explain it real quickly. The reason is the future, do you know why it's the Future Future League? Do you know, Donald? I heard there was like some story about it used to be the future league, but it was like you couldn't change the cards or something. Yeah, so we we made the future league and it was six months ahead of time, and it proved to be a horrible spot because we could identify problems but not fix them. <laughs> and so then they moved it six months further, and so it wasn't the future league anymore; it was the future future league, and that, that's where it came from. And uh, the FFL. I mean, no one actually calls it the Future Future League. It's just the FFL, but the FFL name stuck. So, um, so anyway, we're almost. I'm almost to work. Um, any final thing? Uh, last chance. Something. Something that a story or something that you you wanted to share. Um. No, I wish I would have prepared a story, but uh, <laughs> I guess go check out the M files for my Luminous Broodmoth story. It, it's pretty humorous. I, I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, it, it's just like that was a card that play design again redesigned and uh, but Dave was the set lead of Icoria and he's uh, it's very hard to convince Dave like which is a good and bad thing it's hard to convince him but you know when you do have him redesign a card that you really have something special and Luminous Broodmoth was one of those moments okay that's cool well anyway I want to thank you for being here and, and representing play design um, but uh, it appears I'm, I'm I'm approaching my den, so uh, <laughs> uh, it seems like this is the uh, as we all know the end of my drive to work. So uh, instead of talking magic with with Donald, it's time for me to be making magic. So I want to thank you for joining me, Donald, and thank you all for tuning in. So bye bye. Hey, thanks. <laughs>